All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to study tonight on who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ. And uh, if you have your Bible, I guess you could start, we could start a bunch of different places, but we'll probably just start with uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. How's that? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can open up there. And if you really read the verse right ahead of 2 Corinthians 5.17, you read 2 Corinthians 5.16, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about what Jesus has done for us. And he said, and now from henceforth, we don't know any man after the flesh. We don't know any man after the flesh, or we no longer see people and know them naturally. He says, we know people now in a different way than the way we used to know them because of what Jesus has done. And he says, we don't know any man after the flesh. We know people after the spirit. And then if you go to verse 17, he says, therefore, if any man, anybody, anywhere, any person is in Christ, if any man, any person is in Christ, uh, he or she or this person is a new creature, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything, all things have become new. That's pretty radical change, isn't it? If old things pass away and everything becomes new, that's a pretty radical change. So something radical must have happened in Christ. Jesus must have done something amazing to literally cause your old self, the old person used to be, to pass away and everything change. Uh, I like to say it this way. Jesus did not go through the suffering and the agony of the cross his death. He did not go through all of that to be raised from the dead and say, I sure hope that helped you a little bit. <laughs> On Mondays, if you're feeling blue. Now, Jesus didn't go through the suffering of the cross just to bring some minor changes. What God did in Christ and what happened in the death and resurrection of Christ brings radical change. He said it literally makes us a new creature. The word new means new in kind or new in quality. New in kind or new in quality. It literally means a new kind of creature, a new kind of creature. So you're not just a new person, but you are a new kind of person that never existed before. And literally that word new means unheard of before. P.C. Nelson pointed that out when he says, if you're a new creature in Christ, he said that literally means unheard of before, has led others to say a new species of being that never existed before. Now, the reason you have become in Christ something that is unheard of before is because Jesus has done something that's never been done before. So what did he do? Are what happened in Christ, what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, I know in America, uh, we have all the different politicians, and so I don't uh, come to talk about politics, but in the last election, our new president 
uh, Donald Trump won the election and to the shock of many, many people in America, uh, Donald Trump is a president of the United States and uh, Hillary Clinton looked like she had it won and somehow she lost it. So now she has a book out called What Happened? <laughs> I thought that's an interesting thing now that we have a book called What Happened? I thought, well, I imagine the devil's got a book like that because <laughs> it looked like he had everybody wrapped up, come on, bound up, and then Jesus came and died on the cross and raised from the dead, and what happened? <laughs> Amazing turnaround. What happened? We've got eight grandkids, and so... Um, the twins, Dylan and Hadley, and so their famous words are, what happened? <laughs> what happened? So when it comes to Paul's letters or Paul's revelation, knowing who you are in Christ literally means what happened? Do you know what happened? Because whatever happened there becomes the center of your faith and determines the durability and the strength of your faith. Actually, Paul said in Philemon 6 that the communication of your faith will be effective by acknowledging every good thing that is yours in Christ Jesus. Acknowledging, if you have the Amplified Bible, acknowledging being conscious of every good thing that is ours through our identification with Christ Jesus. Our identification with Christ. Amen. So when Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new kind of creature that never existed before. Praise the Lord. Now, let me read a couple of things real quickly here before I get too far along, because we want to cover some of this fundamental material. Now, my spiritual father was Kenneth E. Hagin, Dad Hagin, and I always say he set me free from the fear of repetition. <laughs> I have no fear of repetition because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And sometimes I'd hear Brother Hagin preach a message on a hundred times and the hundredth time I'd go, oh, that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> Amen. So even if you're a slow learner, the Lord will stick with you until you get it. Amen. So understanding what happened in the death and resurrection of Christ and who you are because of that and what you have. I learned from Dad Hagen when I was just a teenager because I was raised in church and I heard many great evangelists and preachers and all kinds of style of preachers come in and we had revival, you know, we always had two weeks of revival. And revival usually was not a success until the preacher's kids got saved. So I've actually been saved many, many times. And um, I don't know if that's theologically correct, but I did get saved and saved. And then they baptized me several different ways to see if one of them would work. And then they actually held me underwater for a while to see if that would work. But uh, <laughs> so I've heard some of the best preaching best preaching in the world, amen, and still didn't do so well. Uh, I always say, you know, my, my dedicator, I'd dedicate and rededicate, then my dedication would usually wear out, you know, by Tuesday afternoon. 
So I found out what I needed was not just more dedication. I needed a greater revelation. That Paul's prayers for believers in Ephesians 1 is that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding to be flooded with light. That we may know there that we may know what happened in the death and the resurrection of Christ, the tremendous power that's available to every believer and the, the authority that belongs to every believer and what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead. Amazing things happen in the death and resurrection of Christ. What happened there? So he said, pray that prayer. Dad Hagen said, pray the Ephesians 1 prayer. And then he said, one way to study the Bible. How many ever wanted to study the Bible and you're just like, that is a gigantic project. You sure didn't want to start at Leviticus, you know, you're like, man, about three turtle doves later, I mean, you're out. So um, <laughs> you need to go to sleep, you know, just read Leviticus. And you're like. So then if you started in the Old Testament, you know, you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to live long enough to make it through the Old Testament. So we studied all that in church and uh, studied all that, you know, in Sunday school and studied all the Bible stories. But Dad Hagen came along and he said, if you want to study the Bible, he said, really, one of the best ways to study the Bible is to go into the New Testament and go into Paul's letters or Paul's revelation. And every time you see the two words in Christ, in him, in whom, then circle or underline those two words. Every time you see those two words, in Christ, in him, in whom. So read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and read every time you see the two words in Christ, circle or underline those two words because that describes something you are and something you have now because you're in Christ. One writer said, when you made Jesus your Lord, you got in Christed. That you're now in Christ. So now there's 130 of those scriptures, but I found that there's about 35 real significant ones. So he said, write those scriptures down and every day acknowledge and declare, this is who God says I am. And this is what God says I have. And so I'm just going to agree with God. Amen. You'll find really that the way God does things is he'll actually call you things that there's no evidence it exists. Let's try that again. I said God will call you things there's no evidence it exists. That's why you'll have to start calling things which be not as though they were. So God will call you things. There's no evidence that exists. The only evidence is his word and his word is all you'll need. Amen. 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 So when an angel shows up <laughs> talking to Gideon and says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, there is certainly no evidence that exists. <laughs> you got the wrong address or something. Well, finally, Gideon agreed with what God said, and he literally walked into a new identity. 
and that affected his destiny. That your identity must be changed before you can fulfill your destiny. And so God will call you things, no evidence it exists. He'll say, you are, you have. Amen, not you have potential. This is what you are because this is something Jesus produced for you. God did it for you in Christ, and he just, now you are in Christ. Amen? And so you don't want to be like the guy, you know, that went to the psychiatrist struggling with low self-esteem and depression, and he goes to the psychiatrist struggling with an inferiority complex. And the psychiatrist said, well, what's your problem? He said, well, I think I'm a dog. He said, well, how long have you had this problem? He said, well, since I was a puppy. <laughs> he said, well, get up on the couch and let's talk about it. He said, I'm not allowed. So <laughs> you can see <laughs> that some of the problems that people have, it's hard to trace exactly where it came from, but some of them have had that since they were a puppy. So. What happens when you make Jesus the Lord of your life is he has the power to change everything. Everything. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so in Paul's letters, that's really the center of his revelation is who you are and what you have in Christ. And I like to read this here from uh, James Stewart. He said it this way. He said, this life, this life, which flows from Christ into man is something totally different from anything experienced on the merely natural plane. It is different, not only in degree, but it's also different in kind. This life, in other words, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Now, when he said, I came that you might have life, he's not just talking about a better life. He's talking about a different kind of life. Or let's say it this way. Every religion offers lessons. Many good lessons in many religions. And many religions accept Jesus Christ as a good teacher. But what makes Christianity different than every other religion is Jesus did not come just to give lessons. He came to give you life, eternal life, the God kind of life, spiritual life, and the same life that's in Christ. He said, I came that you might have life. Same life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. In other words, this life is in Christ. So when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you could say, I got saved. You could say, I got born again. You could, you could say, I received eternal life. Or you could say, I'm now in Christ. But let's look at all of these together. This life that flows from Christ into man is something totally different from anything experienced on the merely natural plane. It is different not only in degree, but also in kind. It is a new quality of life. It is a supernatural quality. As Paul puts it elsewhere, there is a new creation. 
It is not just an intensification of powers already possessed, but it is a sudden emergence of an entirely new and original element. Whenever a man comes to be in Christ, he begins to live in the sphere of the post-resurrection life of Jesus. Hmm. This life, which he now lives, bears the quality of eternity. McLeod Campbell, in his great work on the atonement, complains that ordinary religion is so much a struggle to secure an unknown future happiness instead of being the meditation on and the welcoming of the present gift of eternal life. This is Paul's revelation, glory, and his joy. It is life with the stamp of eternity on it. It is the present possession of every believer. So it is this life, you could say it this way, what Satan saw on the day of Pentecost. Because hmm. he's having trouble with one Jesus. And now he's got 120 that have the same life, same authority, same spirit. He's got the same stuff. In other words, God did in Christ what he wanted to do in every man. Or let's say it this way. God put into Christ everything he wanted you to have. Or everything Satan lost. Come on, everything Adam lost, everything Satan got in Adam, God reversed it in Christ. So Paul's letters and Paul's revelation is simply about who you are and what you have now because you are in Christ. And you just look a lot better in Christ than you do outside of him. I said you look a lot better in Christ. But if the devil can keep you in your old identity, come on, and think, well, I'm saved, you know, and one day I'm going to go to heaven. But if you ever move over into the revelation of who you are in Christ and you see yourself in Christ, then that has the power to change everything in your life. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So a lot of times we say that, but we don't understand the full significance of what happened to produce that. So let's try it like this. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. Wow. Now say that backwards. Wow. Now, in other words, if you can say that without it impressing you, I like to say it this way, if you're not impressed with who you are in Christ, you just haven't seen him lately. Because if you're a new creature in Christ and God gave you the same life that he gave to Christ, come on, you're a pretty impressive creature. Matter of fact, what kind of creature are you anyhow? In other words, Jesus, when he came to the earth, everyone asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? He's a man that Satan cannot dominate. He's a man that has authority over sickness and disease and heals the sick. What kind of man is this that when he speaks that demons have to leave? What kind of man is this? Did you know God has produced a new kind of human, a new kind of humanity in Christ? He made you a new creature in Christ. People ought to be asking, what kind of a person is this? 
You're a new creation. The same life as in Christ is on the inside of you. And that life really produces the same authority in everything that's in Christ. It's in your inner man. So what does that mean to be in Christ? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Put that scripture down real quickly here. Here's what it says. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He that's joined unto the Lord is what? One spirit. That means when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are joined to Christ. What does that mean, joined to Christ? You become one spirit with him. Actually, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're a branch. Same life as in the vine flows in the branch. Our Paul uses the illustration of Christ is the head and we are his body. In other words, when you go into a bank, you don't open up two accounts, one for your head and one for your body. Come on, whatever is deposited in your head's account is in your body's account. So you cannot imagine your head being rich and your body being poor. Neither can you imagine Jesus blessed, triumphant in him is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. Neither can you imagine him being all that he is and you being a little nothing. If he's the head and you're his body, you've been given the same identical access that Christ has, same identical authority that Christ has. Come on, in him is all the fullness. One writer said it this way, God deposited everything he had into Christ and he made Jesus the treasury of all that he has and then he put you in the treasury. So I would say you're not just a forgiven sinner. What happened? I said, you're not just a forgiven sinner. Come on, you're not just saying, well, I'm going to try to make it to heaven one of these days. When you walk into the reality of who you are and what you have in Christ, your identification with Christ, whoo, this changes everything. I said, this changes everything. This changes everything. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, how many of y'all still with me here? Can you handle this just a little bit longer? Let's go a little bit further here. New creature in Christ. So can I read you some more here real quickly? Mmm, all right. We're going to cook up some stew here, some gumbo or something. We're going to cook something up here. Amen. A.J. Gordon said it this way because the apostle Paul called himself a man in Christ. He said, I knew a man in Christ, whether he's in the body or out of the body, I could not tell. Such a man ascended to the third heaven. We sound like an astronaut. <laughs> so who's he talking about? Most writers say Paul said, I knew a man in Christ. What he's talking about is he's talking about himself. Or you could say it this way, Paul's revelation of I knew a man in Christ. Actually, Paul's letters, I love the way James Stalker said it, Paul's letters contain the thoughts that Jesus carried away from this world unuttered. Hmm. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Paul's letters contain the thoughts Jesus carried away from this world unuttered. In other words, Jesus said, I've got many things I want to tell you, but I cannot tell you now. When's he going to tell you? He said, you couldn't handle it. Come on. He said, you couldn't handle it. He said, but when the Holy Spirit comes, 
He's going to guide you into all truth. So Paul's letters are the advanced teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, your Bible should be worn out in Ephesians and Romans and Corinthians because that describes who you are and what you have now in Christ. Listen, the body of Christ, come on, you're an amazing giant with tremendous influence and tremendous power, and you've been given in Christ identical access in the presence of God that Christ himself has. Same righteousness, same authority, same blessing that's in Christ, in the anointed one, joined to the master. Go ahead and laugh for a minute. So Paul, many theologians will say on these two pillars stand all of Christianity, the resurrection of Christ and the conversion of the apostle Paul. Paul's testimony is in the book of Acts three times. In other words, a proud Pharisee persecuting Christians and makes such a radical change, they said he must have met Jesus. So Jesus must be alive. Hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on, on the road to Damascus, bam. Said Jesus hit him so hard, knocked the S off the front of his name and put a P there. In other words, it totally changed his identity. His direction, everything changed when he ran into Jesus. Come on, going to church, come on, or just being religious, that won't change you much. But when you run into Jesus, come on, this is going to affect you more than a tattoo. I'm just telling you, when you run into Jesus, Bam, you're like. Somebody say, what happened to you? Say, I ran into Jesus. I'm still processing that. Amen. So let me, let me finish reading this. A.J. Gordon said it in his book, In Christ, and here's what he said. Can y'all follow this? He said, no words of Scripture... If we accept those God manifest in the flesh, hold within themselves a deeper mystery than this simple formula of the Christian life in Christ. What did he say there? He said, if you take all the scripture, there's no more important words in all the Bible than the two words in Christ, except God manifest in the flesh. Hmm. Everybody go, hmm. So if these are the two most significant words in all the scripture, we ought to know what that means. Because really all you've got is a preposition in and Christ. Christ the anointed one, and you've got a preposition, and yet that becomes the technical term that gives you insight into God's method of salvation. Hmm. Y'all still with me here? So here's the way A.J. Gordon said it. Indeed, God taking upon himself humanity and yet remaining God is hardly more inexplicable to human thought than man becoming a partaker of the divine nature and yet remaining man. What does that mean? Well, that just means you can no longer say, I'm only human. You can say, I'm also human, but I am not only human. 
That means you're a partaker of the divine nature. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. So you're not only human. Christ is not only God. He's the God-man. Come on. And he's the archetype of a new kind of man. Archetype means he's the prototype. One man, Adam, got us in this mess. And so God said, I'm just going to make a new Adam. To make sure this new Adam doesn't fail, I'm going to personally get in a body. And forge a union that can never be broken. In Christ. The last Adam. He's not the second Adam, he's the last Adam. That means there ain't never going to be another Adam like this Adam. You understand? This Adam produced a whole new kind of man. Paul calls him the new man. Aha! All right, I better finish reading this. Everybody say, what happened? That's what Hillary's wondering right now. What happened? All right, let's finish reading this because I'll get lost here. So now we're talking about what happened in Christ, and he says this, yet great as is the mystery of these two words, they are the key to the whole system of doctrinal mysteries. Like the famous Rosetta Stone, itself a partial hieroglyph, and thereby furnishing the long-sought clue to Egyptian hieroglyphics, these words, by their very mystery, unlock all the mysteries of the divine life and let us into secrets that were hidden from ages and from generations. In other words, the hieroglyphics on the, you know, we went to Egypt, preached in Egypt, and so you go to see, uh, the, you know, the, the big pyramids, and you go in there, and the hieroglyphics on the wall. For thousands of years, nobody knew what that language was until the Rosetta Stone and then they were able to unlock it because you had two different languages combined and so they unlocked the secrets of all the hieroglyphics. So he's saying these two words literally will unlock all the mysteries of the Bible. Amen. That when it comes to revelation knowledge, it's a different kind of knowledge. Different kind of knowledge. Actually, I like to say it this way, God's kingdom system has never been hacked. You know what that means, never been hacked? That means if you're studying all these big companies and all the secure information that they have, and yet thieves break in and steal stuff, information, and millions of dollars, they break into that system. But God's kingdom system has never been hacked. If you got in, you were granted access. And the moment you're granted access, there can be a download. And that access is granted the moment you get in Christ. 
So let's see if the Lord could download some stuff. You can tell, you know, it's like 3%, 5%, 10%. Some people have been stuck for 20 years, you know, like 3%. Come on, God would like to. <laughs> How many ever feel like you were stuck, you know, 3%, 3%? My God. So God wants to download <laughs> revelation knowledge because your faith cannot go any further than your revelation knowledge. Living by faith is simply living by revelation knowledge. The greatest threat to everything the devil does is revelation knowledge. Praise the Lord. I call it the difference between two of our presidents, you know, a couple of them, they said, well, they did smoke marijuana, but they did not inhale. <laughs> so I thought that's pretty funny. He said he did smoke marijuana, but he did not inhale. That means he must have just held it in his mouth, blew it out, and faked it like he was having a good time. I said, that happens in church all the time. You're preaching the word, and some people are going, praise the Lord, that's interesting. But somebody's going to inhale and go, glory to God. We call that the most high. In other words, somebody's going to go, but God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together with him. You're like, my God. Other people are like, praise the Lord, that's interesting. But... When the Holy Spirit gives you revelation, this is like, this is blowing my mind, man. No, it's actually recreating your mind. Amen. In other words, all the fight of faith is fought from this perspective that you've been made alive and raised up together with Christ. Never let the devil try to make you fight from down there. You say, no, I don't fight down there. I fight from up here. Amen, your identification with Christ. So revelation knowledge, once it's received appropriately, and, and the Bible says, Jesus actually said, God actually hides things from people who think they're so smart. <laughs> he hides things, he's like, mm. but he said, when you humble yourself, he delights. God loves, come on. Someone said this way, man does not discover God, God reveals himself. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so in this area of revelation knowledge, Paul said, when Paul's revelation, actually the whole Bible is written from the perspective of revelation knowledge. Right? I mean, Genesis was written from revelation knowledge. Written by who? Moses. How did Moses know what happened in Genesis chapter one? Was he there? No, there was nobody there in the beginning. I know y'all are like, is that Genesis? Yeah, in Genesis chapter one, written by Moses, <laughs> 
I don't know, maybe he's in his tent. And God's like, let me show you what happened when I created the world. And Moses like, wow, let me write this down. So the apostle Paul, in the new creation, Jesus says, let me show you what happened on the cross in the death and in the burial and in those three days. And when I was raised from the dead, something happened that changes everything that defines man and changes the whole world. Something happened on the cross in the death and resurrection of Christ. What happened there? And whatever happened there, the apostle Paul said 30 years later, that I may know Christ in the power of his resurrection. In other words, he never got over what he saw. He's like, praise the Lord. Go ahead and smile like you're actually inhaling. Amen. Go ahead. Come on, it don't matter how many stalactites have been dripping in your brain for years from generation to generation. Come on, one explosion from the resurrection of Christ can change those dark caverns. Come on now, and Christ move on the inside and redemption and freedom through the blood of Jesus. Drip, drip. Come on, let the light Let there be light. In Louisiana, we say when the light comes on, the roaches run. Y'all have roaches in Australia? Oh, man, Louisiana, they got roaches. You don't have to chase the roaches. Just turn on the light, and they're all like, shh. That's the way the devil is. You don't have to chase him down. Just turn on the light, man. He's moving. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the whole Bible is written from this perspective of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, it's got several dimensions. Now, if you go to theological training or go to Bible college, they want to give you the Bible in the light of history, geography, come on, theology. But there's another level, which is called inspiration, God breathed, which is revelation knowledge, which is the source of faith. Praise the Lord. God breathe. I call that mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Praise the Lord. And the great thing about revelation knowledge is you can really have as much as you want. Or we could say it this way. If you want more, you can have more. Or you can stop at whatever point you want to. Or if you tell the Lord, say, Lord, I'd like for you to take me further in revelation. The eyes of my understanding to be flooded with light. In other words, I want to know how stuff works. Praise the Lord. We'll get in that in the morning. All right. Now, let's finish reading this on who you are in Christ. Go ahead and laugh for a minute and say, ha, ha. Are you ready? In Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. And thus, through these two words, we get a profound insight into the divine method of salvation. 
In other words, how God saves us, heals us, delivers us, restores us, how does he do it? He said the method is he does it in Christ. Those two words show you how he does it. And he says this, God does not work upon the soul by itself, bringing to bear upon it while yet in its alienation and isolation from him, such discipline as shall gradually render it fit to be reunited to him. Y'all, y'all got that? In other words, God said, all right, now I'm not going to take a man and I'm going to keep working on him until finally I've got him straightened up enough to where he could be reunited to me. He says, no, the way God's method of salvation is he begins rather by reuniting it to himself. That through that union, he may communicate to it that divine life and energy without which all discipline were utterly futile. The method of grace is precisely the reverse of the method of legalism. The method of grace is precisely the reverse of legalism. The latter, or legalism, is holiness in order to union with God. The former is union with God in order to holiness. Oh! So God basically says, I'm going to do the work for you in Christ, then I'm going to join you to Christ, and whatever's wrong with you, we can fix it from there. All right, let's finish reading. Y'all doing all right? I know it's taking a little bit of time, but I'm watching some of y'all are listening slow, so I'm going over to the beginning. <laughs> so if you feel like your neighbor's not paying attention, say, if you would pay attention, we could have been already through with it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Nothing, nothing is more striking <laughs> Nothing is more striking than the breadth of application which the principle of union with Christ has in the gospel. The breadth of application. Christianity obliterates no natural relationships, destroys no human obligations, makes void no moral or spiritual laws, but it lifts all of these into a new sphere and puts upon them this seal and signature of the gospel in Christ. Thus Christ in taking man up into himself takes all that belongs to him. Instead of rending him away from natural connections, he embraces all these with him and in himself that he may sanctify them all. And not only is this true, but the opposite and far more wondrous fact, namely that Christ in raising man into union with himself, raises him into all that belongs to him, into his divine life, into partnership with his divine work, so that now he dies in his death, rises in his resurrection, ascends in his ascension, and is seated with him at his session at the Father's right hand, and he lives in his eternal life. So marked is this latter fact that it has led some to speak of the events of the Christian life as affording a striking parallel. 
but parallels never meet. While the very glory and mystery of the believer's life is that it is one with the Savior and inseparable from it, it is not a life running alongside of his and taking shape and direction from it. It is his life reenacted in his followers. It is the reproduction in them of those events which are immortal in energy and limitless in application. All right, let me read that one more time. You ready? So he says, your life is not just following or, come on, trying to be like Christ. He said, really, it is really his life in you as a believer. And the events that brought you into union with Christ, here's what he says, these events are immortal in energy and limitless in application. In other words, anything that's wrong with you, the death and resurrection of Christ covers it. Now let's go this way. Now when it comes to your blood, now in your blood, because uh, you know we're dealing with you know, medical issues with one of our grandchildren, so in your blood, your blood carries antibodies, which are the defense system that fight infection or fight disease, antibodies. And those antibodies are formed from you winning a fight against a certain disease and they'll stay in your body for the rest of your life. An antibody is called a memory cell because that antibody carries the memory of how it whipped that disease last time. So anytime that disease shows up again, here comes those same antibodies saying, I whipped you last time and I'll whip you again this time. So the blood of Jesus carries the antibodies of everything he whipped in your behalf. And when you say, I have faith in the blood of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus, then you're saying, My, come on, this blood whipped that situation last time and is the memory cell, and that blood now whipped that situation in my life because I was identified with Christ. Everything he did, he did it for me. That means every condition you can ever face, the blood of Jesus, come on, the perfect sacrifice, that blood carries the events of everything he produced for us. Through faith in that blood. Woo! I said through faith in that blood. You can actually plead the blood of Jesus, faith in that blood over any situation that's messing with you mentally, emotionally. Your confession of faith, of who you are in Christ, of what Jesus has done for you. I like to say it this way, you know, when some people ask me to say, how are you feeling? Then I say, I'm feeling the same way Jesus was feeling when he overcame this feeling. In other words, that don't mean you don't have no feelings. That just means your faith is greater than your feelings. And the blood carries the victory. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. All right, go to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. We got a few more minutes here. Y'all learn anything? How many glad you're in Christ? How many glad you just look a lot better in Christ than you do outside of him? How many glad you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus? How many glad that there's at least 130 in Christ scriptures? Come on. You are an amazing creature. I said, you're an amazing creature. 
Galatians 2.20. Now, this is on identification with Christ. I am, y'all got the King James up there? I am. I am. So it's going to tell you something you am. I am crucified with Christ. You say, yeah, but crucified people die. He said, well, I did die. So, said, but you look like you're alive. He said, yeah, but it's not really me. In other words, you just cannot go through a crucifixion and remain the same. I am crucified with Christ. All right, now I know when you get desperate and you're going through trouble and you feel like things will never change, people actually, even among teenagers, will com- consider suicide. In other words, death's the only thing that can stop that situation, so they'll consider suicide, even as a teenager. In America, 14-year-olds taking their own life. The problem with suicide is you just can't pull off a resurrection. But God has provided a death for you whereby you can die and bring that situation to an end in Christ. Ah, and the resurrected Christ is there to occupy anything that submits to his death. So now to bring that situation to an end, you say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But what? All right, let's read it out loud together. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise the Lord. All right, let's look at some other translations real quickly. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Other translations say, I consider myself as having died and now enjoying a second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. Hmm. In other words, you talk to the Apostle Paul, his understanding of Christianity is Galatians 2.20. He said, I died with Christ. I was crucified with him. Well, people say, now, how could Paul have been crucified with Christ? Because you got Jesus in the middle, a thief on either side. And people say Paul was not even in Jerusalem. But Paul said, I was there. Hmm. Now, how was he there? He said he was there. He said, well, I didn't see him. Aha. Uh-huh. But he said he was there. Matter of fact, I, we used to sing on Easter, you know, in church, uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Y'all know that song? Yeah, were you there? And I was like, I wasn't there. I mean, I live in Texas, man. That's a long ways over there. I wasn't there. You don't understand all these songs, you know, when you're a little kid. Were you there? You're like, no, I was not. (laughs) And they'll say, sometimes 
it causes me to tremble. Were you there when he's raised from the dead? In other words, that song's talking about your identification with Christ. Were you there? Christ took me to the cross with him. Did you know the message Bible says, I identified myself completely with Christ. In other words, a lot of times we get our identity, they'll call it in psychology, determinism. They'll say three main determinisms in your life. Number one is genetic, that you are what your mom and your daddy made you. Number two is environmental. You are kind of where you was raised. That's affected. You're, you're, that determines your identity and the quality of your life. And the next is psychic determinism or psychological. That means you are what you are because of the way you think. Or you are what you are because of your experiences. Or you are what you are because of what has happened to you. And it is true. Things have happened to pe people that have affected their whole life. Even at young ages, their whole life, they'll still be going back to what happened to them. But when you see what happened to Jesus, I like one translation says, God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to us by Adam's fall. God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage done to us. Or what God did in Christ, what happened to Jesus is greater than anything that's ever happened to you. So now your determinism switches from genetic, environmental, come on, or your experiences. And now it switches over to Paul said, my, my identity comes totally from Christ. All right, here's the way T.L. Osborne said it. He said, little I moved out and big Christ moved in. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So little I moved out, big Christ moved in. Or you could say it this way, defeated I moved out and victorious Christ moved in. Or you could say it this way, sick I moved out and healed healthy Christ moved in. Or you could say, poor I moved out and blessed Jesus moved in. In other words, he said, now it's Christ that lives in me. I'm in him and he is on the inside of me. I'm a new creature in Christ. I've been in Christ. Praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Can you say hallelujah? Can you say thank you, Jesus? Uh-huh. So now we got 130 of these to deal with, and we're only on the first one. In Christ, realities simply meaning this, that you may say, I know the Scripture says that about me, but it don't seem real to me. All right, now listen close. Faith's confessions produce the reality of that in your life. In other words, your confession brings you into agreement with who God says you are in Christ. Or you could say it this way, not only your confession, amen, but also the Holy Spirit. Or you could say it this way, the Holy Spirit takes what Christ has done for us and makes it a reality in us. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you can have a lot of theology and no reality. 
actually the spirit of truth. One translation calls him the spirit of reality. So the Holy Spirit takes this revelation and makes it a reality. The second thing is your confession of faith. That means you take that word on who you are in Christ and boldly acknowledge this is who I am and this is what I have because I'm in Christ. Amen. Now, if you'll study the four gospels, Jesus was constantly confessing his identity and his destiny. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus was constantly saying, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who I am. He's constantly declaring his identity and his destiny. Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who my father is. Actually, in this area of your confession, it takes the identical confession to activate your identification. So while you feed on the word concerning this area, that identical confession that I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. In other words, you bring yourself into agreement with what God says you are in Christ. Amen. I like this kind of use this illustration because in, in our family, praise the Lord. In our family, uh-huh, our family, we all have identical voices. My older brother, myself, my son, viewers talk, all our voices sound the same. It's genetic, runs in the family. So years ago, I called up my older brother, his church in Dallas, Texas. And when I called up, they thought I was him. <laughs> so when they thought I was him, then they said, uh, Pastor Mike, that's his name, what would you like for me to do for you? And I said, you know, my younger brother, Mark, <laughs> has been such a blessing in my life. I would like to express that to him in a tangible way. Send him $10,000. The secretary said, well, when would you like for me to do this? I said, as soon as possible. I'll get right on it. Then I, start, I left and I said, I, I'm just kidding, it's Mark. So, but my voice gave me access to his checking account. Once you see who you are in Christ, your voice of faith gives you access to everything that's in Christ. When you dare to lift up your voice, and declare who you are. Now, <clears throat> to try to finish this up some tonight is in Paul's letters or in Paul's revelation, there is what you would call a system, Paul's system of truth, which is like a whole new system from the Old Testament system, a new system. And in Paul's system of truth or his revelation, there's eight major points. Eight major points. Number one is what is man, or you would call this Paul's pneuma concept, the spirit of man. That man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. So Paul's pneuma concept, spirit, soul, and body, and what man is and how all three parts function, spirit, soul, and body. 
Number one. Number two is identification with Adam. Paul tells you one man got us in this mess and one man can get us out. Number three is what is man's condition in Adam. We'll cover this later. Is man's condition, spirit, soul, and body because of one man's sin. Number four is what happened from the cross to the throne. Everybody say, what happened? What happened from the cross to the throne? The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Number five is identification with Christ. Number six is who we are, what we have now in Christ. Number seven is what Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of God. And number eight is how you can grow spiritually. How to grow spiritually through the renewing of your mind, through being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's eight points in Paul's system of truth. Amen. Now, I see some of you say, well, uh, is he going to cover all that tonight? Well, probably not. So, <laughs> I just want you to see that system or network of truth that would form what you call your, your belief system. What is your belief system that will affect your behavior and your blessing, your belief system? So... In the United States, we have the NFL football season and the college football season that is coming up right now. Everything gets better in America when football season begins. So, if you'll notice in the NFL, now Tony, Pastor Tony, is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, which is really not the best team that you could be a fan of. (laughs) But he is a very faithful fan, so he will need prayer this year. So, if you see him looking depressed, then you know his team has played again. So, but I'm from Texas, so we got the Dallas Cowboys, right? Or if you're from Denver, the Denver Broncos, the Patsy and and, uh, Trina, they like the Denver Broncos. Then, uh, if you're from the East, then you got the the New England Patriots. (laughs) Right? Now, if you'll notice in the the, uh, playoffs, when it gets down to the end of the season, the teams that usually come out on top are usually the same one, two, or three teams every year because they have the same coach. So here's what the, uh, what would you call them, the, uh, the experts. You know what an expert is? It's a man from out of town with a briefcase. So you tell the experts. So if you talk to the experts, how do these teams always end up being champions? And here's what they'll say. Because that coach in New England's case, Belichick, they've won, what, five Super Bowls. They'll say, Coach Belichick, he has a coaching system, and one of his major stars just got injured, and every year one of them will get injured, be out the whole season, and he'll take what you'd call an average player and plug them into his system and still go to the championship. They'll say, well, how does he do that? Because his coaching system is so thorough that he takes average players, plugs them in to that system, and makes them champions. So what the Apostle Paul does, he has 
a system of revelation. When you see what happened in Christ and who you are in Christ, he can take somebody that would be an average person, but the moment you get the revelation of who you are in Christ, which means Paul's revelation was not just for Paul, it is for every believer. That means every believer is given the identical access to Paul's revelation. You can see the same thing, enjoy the same thing, and once you get plugged into that system, it'll take you to the Super Bowl every time. Hallelujah. Can you say hallelujah? Can you say ha, ha, ha? <clears throat> hallelujah, amen. He says, for your faith to be effectual, there must be the consciousness and the acknowledging of every good thing that's yours in Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Did y'all learn anything tonight? Can you say hallelujah? <clears throat> amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the word, that your word is alive. We trust the Holy Spirit to give us fresh revelation, to open the eyes of our understanding, our identification and who we are and what we have in Christ, that we'll live in the light of our redemption, that victory is ours over the world, the flesh and the devil, through the blood of Jesus, through the precious blood of Jesus, that no matter what area we may be struggling or we may be facing challenges, victory is ours in Christ a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word works mightily and your Holy Spirit works in us mightily. And we'll live in the light of our redemption, the reality of our redemption in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Father God. In the name of Jesus. If any man be in Christ, anyone, a new creature, a new kind of life, a new kind of person that never existed before, a new kind of love and a new kind of life in Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, nobody moving around just for a moment. If you're here tonight and you say, I really don't know who I am in Christ. I don't want to spend my life wandering around with all different kinds of identities and chasing different things, but I'd like to find out who God says I am, what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And you say, tonight, I want to open my heart and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to tell me who I am and what I have. And Jesus will reveal himself to you and just the revelation of Christ has the power to change you forever. He'll reveal himself to you. Not just to some preacher. He'll reveal himself to you. Literally through his word. Literally visit your life, his presence. So you can know him. Know Christ. Not just know about him, but know him. In the power of his resurrection. That Jesus is alive. And he is Lord. He is Lord. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to do that tonight. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want you just to raise your hand wherever you're at. And you say, tonight, I surrender my life to Jesus. I see your hand. And I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Anyone else, you just raise up your hand and say, tonight, I come to Jesus just as I am. I come to his cross. On the cross, his blood was shed to redeem my life, to set me free. You surrender to Jesus tonight. 
Is there anyone else you want to raise your hand? You say, pray for me tonight. I believe everything changes tonight through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never be the same. Is there anyone else you want to raise your hand? So I'm looking across. You just say, tonight, I receive Jesus as my Lord. Or if you're here tonight and you just say, well, I've been saved, but I'm not following the Lord. I've kind of gone off in all kinds of different ways following the world. But I want to come back home. I want to come back and follow Jesus with all my heart. I want, I want Jesus to reveal himself to me. And I will follow him. And you say things will turn and things will change. Tonight, all this week, there'll be a fresh revelation of Christ. I'm coming back home to Jesus. I'm coming back to follow him. Is there anyone like that? You just raise your hand up. You just say, I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm coming back. I'm crying out to him. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, I come back to you. I set myself, my affection to follow you. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. Anyone like that? I see your hand. God bless you. In Christ, a new creature, a new creation. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You want to raise your hand? I'll wait just a few seconds. Those who raised your hand, or if you didn't raise your hand, you should have. Just stand up right where you're at. Just stand up. Stand up right where you're at. I'm going to pray with you and pray for you right here tonight. If you raised your hand, or if you didn't, then you should have. Just go ahead and stand up. Let me pray with you and pray for you right now. God bless you. God bless you. Those who are standing, just look at me. Just look at me. I want to pray with you, and I'm going to pray for you. I want you to come up here. If you have a friend or something, they can come with you. Come up here. Let me pray with you. Someone want to come up and help me? Come on up here. Come on up here. We're going to pray together. Amen. How many want to pray with me? Amen. We're going to pray together. All right. Everybody say this right now. We're going to pray and open our heart to Jesus. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, right now, I open my heart to you. The precious blood of Jesus. I apply that blood over my life right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. You put in me a new heart, a new spirit, and a clean heart. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. I boldly confess, Jesus is my Lord. Satan's power is broken, and I'm a new creature in Christ, and I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Amen. Y'all lift your hands up and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, lift your hands up and thank the Lord. Glory to God. You know the amen. Praise the Lord. How many glad you came to church tonight? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. Stand up on your feet. Praise the Lord. How many want to pray this prayer in Ephesians 1 together right now? How many believe God can show you things you've never seen before? And there'll be something supplied to your faith, a new ingredient, who you are in Christ. Everybody say this. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, I'm believing for it for fresh revelation that you give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that the eyes of my understanding, the eyes of my heart will be flooded with light, the light of your word, the light of your presence for fresh revelation, fresh application in my life that I'll live by faith I see who I am in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm joined to Christ. My spirit is joined to Christ.
Thank you for the Holy Spirit teaching me and leading me and guiding me that my faith is strengthened and I'll live in the light of redemption of who I am in Christ. I boldly confess I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I've been made alive with Christ, raised up with him. I live in his victory. In Christ, I am a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're my redeemer. I'm joined to Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Same victory, same life that's in Christ is in me. Now lift your hands up and thank him for it right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your voice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you did it for us. We live in the light of it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Smith Wigglesworth said, never look back if you want the power of God in your life. Everybody say, never look back. I'm not looking back. I'm not going back. I'm going forward with Jesus. Amen. Give the Lord a shout. God bless you. Come up here, Pastor Tony. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.